This culture is as old as time and it has provided incredible advancements for the ancient and modern world. Imagine fast rolling hills, monstrous mountains, and choppy rolling ocean waves. The culture of these people established most of the Chinese culture that we know today, and it is considered the golden era of that region. Drama encircled this dynasty as its 400-year reign has met, been met with love and hate. Today, we're talking about the Han Dynasty. I'm Scott Parrish, and you're listening to Dying to Eat. Before we get into the show, I want to ask you movie buffs. What do you call a Chinese rapper? Vanilla rice. That's right. I got the dad joke in early. Yes, I love dad jokes. Now let's get back to the show. Each episode, we'll be exploring the relationship between food and death around the world and through time. If you love food, culture, and fun stories, then I've got a great show in store for you. So make sure you stick around to the end to see what's cooking this week. Also, a big shout out to Adam Fulton in Union City, Tennessee, Veronica Esther in Oregon, and Barry Watts in Columbia, Tennessee. Listeners like you are the reason we continue to produce Dying to Eat. Thank you very much. The Han Dynasty reigned over China from 206 BC to 220 AD. The Hans came into rule by, defend, by defeating the previous Qin Dynasty but keeping their system of government as it seemed to be working. It was a concentrated administrative structure and divided the country into administrative sections ruled by appointed officials who were only promoted based on good service. This was taken so seriously that there was a school established to train only the most intelligent men of the empire. The school ran for 2,000 years after it was established. The Hans were very into the idea of Confucianism, Confucianism and it theorized that the dynasty lasted so long because of its implementation. The belief upheld a certain set of morals that included self-discipline, integrity, and respecting one's elders. All good things, right? While the application of Confucianism for this dynasty sounds wonderful, it actually covered up a lot of tyrannical policies. The Han Dynasty was the longest ruling empire in Chinese history, minus the 14 years that the Sin Dynasty took over. Side note, does that mean they were living in sin? My grandmama would really want to know. So Wang Mang, no joke, that's his name, a man with serious connections, seized the throne and moved the capital to the west, from the west to the east of the country. Scholars separate the Han Empire into two parts, the time before Wang Mang's takeover and the time after his takeover from the empire. Wang began burning documentation on the Han writing, writing system. His ultimate goal was to stamp out any memory of the rule. Scholars describe the Sin rule as savage, which led to its downfall. Culture was seriously suppressed by Wang Mang, but the Hans revived the Chinese culture and corrected all of the damage done by Wang that Wang had attempted. The Western era of the Han Dynasty was ruled by Leo Bang, or Emperor Gazu. He had a wife by the name of Empress Lazay, 
who seemed to be making all of the decisions. Emperor Gazu died in 195 BCE, and Empress Laze appointed three new emperors. It was apparent that she was also making the rules behind the scenes and had some very questionable policies. Or did she? It's rumored that she was an effective leader, but it was ridiculed because she was a woman. She died in 180 BC, and her entire family was executed after her death. Her reign was full of peace for her people by providing for the poor, lowering taxes, and bringing in revenue through the entire kingdom. Empress Laze reigned behind her husband and the following kings after his death because she was a polit- she was very politically smart and a very steadfast woman. History shows her as a cruel ruler, but if you review her history, she was a great ally for the Han people. This is an example of how the empire was riddled with unjust behavior and unnecessary drama. Emperor Laze and Emperor Gazu were the beginning of the Western era of the Han Dynasty, also referred to as the Three Kingdom Rule. Their reign is marked as the true establishment of Confucianism. Gazu was from a peasant family and deeply understood what it was like not to be a, privile- a privileged descendant. The emperor began programs with the encouragement uh, from Emperor Laze to create social programs to help the poor. After their deaths, a man by the name of Emperor Jing led the dynasty into the most prosperous time of the kingdom. Emperor Jing believed in the centralization of the government so that all major decisions were made by the higher-ranking officials. As with all major political changes, the citizens were upset that they no longer had any say. This resulted in the rebellion of the seven states. That was in 154 BC. Emperor Jing's forces conquered the rebels and restored order as quickly as possible. Runs out the centralized government policies. Let me say that again. It ran out the centralized government policies that led to the most affluent area era of the Han Dynasty. Man, I'm stumbling tonight. I see that. When Emperor Jing died, his son, Wu, took the stage and was the best known at the time for his policy reforms. His biggest change for the kingdom was allowing for commoners to make important decisions. Wu wanted all people to be equal under the law. Nobles were upset by this notion and rejected his policy. Lucky for the commoners, Wu created his own insider court of which were made up of commoners and secretly consulted with them before making any major decision. When a few of the nobles died, he made them official court members so that all classes were represented. Wu established the Silk Road. That allowed trade with the West. The cult of the Queen Mother of the West was also heavily encouraged by Wu when he saw it as a way to expand their culture. This cult encouraged the thought of life after death, immortality, and understanding the meaning of life. Now, the queen, she is a, uh, she was considered a goddess, the golden mother of jade, and represents success and immortality. Many citizens believe that Wu met with the queen mother on the seventh day of the seventh month 
to discuss the fate of the dynasty. It's believed that the Queen Mother predicted the fall of the Han Dynasty. The fall of the Han Dynasty came under the rule of Emperor Wang Jingyong. Now, I think I got that right. A relative of Wang Mang. Remember, Wang Mang had conquered the Han Dynasty and reigned for 14 years. Wang Mang continued to upset the monarch even after death. Emperor Wang was only to be in power until the the uh, heir the the heir of Emperor Wu came of age. You probably you can probably predict what happened because Wang dismissed this fact and never stepped down from the throne. He established the new age, the Sin Dynasty, and really threw the Han Dynasty under the bus by changing how laws were passed. Wang believed that a single ruler with the freedom to decide and do as he pleases was the best answer for the dynasty. You could call this a uh, one-man government, I guess, where Wang attempted to make all of the decisions by himself. Wang was to entrust responsibilities to government officials, but he was such a control freak that he, didn't, he just couldn't let go. Instead, he made all of the decisions and refused to pay the government officials. Many were working without pay at this point. Corruption really began to run rampant as these unpaid officials began charging for services that should have been free and accepting bribes so that they could make some kind of money. You know, everybody has to make their ends meet, right? Sounds like a problem, I know. He made forest an available landmass for all and built public halls for religious practices he provided public housing and food and cut the dynasty's salary in half in order to provide for more public programs. I think he was a Democrat. What do you think? Anyway, no political discussions here. I am not. I am apolitical. No political opinion here. However, Wang's refusal to delegate to the government officials led to his downfall. One day, an angry mob attacked the palace and hacked the ruler to pieces. Legend has it that they used his head in a game of kickball. Emperor Wang Zhengyu One had one. Oh, see, I totally missed it the first time. I got it that time. Zhengyu One had many Confucian ideals, but he severely lacked the experience and the morals needed to be a great ruler. How much worse could it get, right? A prince named. Shan Lu came into power after Wang's death and was easily the worst ruler of them all. He was the small, weak individual who had no interest in making decisions for the people. Scholars say that his rule was a rogue rule and he had the ideals of the rebellion from Wang's rule. After Shang Lu came, Emperor Don Wu who used a series of reformist laws to restore the Han Dynasty back to its original state. However, the designated court had turned into a series of monarchs that seemed to care more for their own selfish pleasure than the people that they governed. Emperor Ai. Now, let, Chinese language is, is very interesting to me. Emperor Ai. You would expect to spell that Ai. Is actually spelled A-N. Big difference between the Chinese language and the English language. It's very interesting to me. So Emperor I 
who was the successor to Gawang Wu, turned over all of his responsibilities to his court and spent his days drinking. Just like one of my favorite presidents, Andrew Jackson. But that's a whole different story. We'll get to that. You may be able to see where this is going, but let me lay it out for you anyway. The Han Dynasty continued to have a string of corrupt emperors that ultimately led to the downfall, ending the 400-year reign. The longest reign in Chinese history. It was a sad ending for the Han Dynasty, but they truly left their mark on the world. Now, let's discuss the good things that they left behind. The Silk Road. It established for the Han Dynasty to have access to the food that they would never have otherwise. The dynasty had access to better cooking utensils and skills which led them in time to magnificent cuisine. A Han Dynasty writer by the name of Yi Yin wrote a book about the local cuisine which gave us a glimpse into what was available during the era. Han cuisine consisted of garden fresh bamboo shoots and vegetables, calf meat, soup with <coughs> excuse me, dog meat, mushroom rice, roasted tenderloin, raw fish, flavored eggplant, and orchid wine. You gotta have something to wash down that dog, I guess. It is rumored that during the period of the Three Kingdoms, a soup with camel's hooves was marketed for 1,000 ounces of gold and was referred to as Seven Treasure Soup. I hope it was good, because that sure is expensive. Thick soup was a staple during the Han Dynasty rule, and they really made soup with everything that they could absolutely find. After the Han Dynasty rule, soup became less important and roasting, broiling, and baking of meals became the new norm, which are many, there are many staple foods from that period that still are in Chinese cuisine today, like rice. What's a Chinese dish without rice, right? Lo mein. Not just being smart, because I love lo mein. Rice was the first cultivated grain in Chinese history, making rice cultivation about 4,000 years old. It's used as sacrifice in religious ceremonies and brewing it into wine. Rice is available to all classes of Chinese culture, which is why it became and still is a staple of their cuisine. Tea began being incorporated around 3000 BC. You will see tea everywhere in China. For example, the ever popular Baboa tea stemmed from this culture. Wheat entered the cuisine around 1500 BC during the Shang Dynasty, and it came from West Asia. Fruit was in abundance, especially oranges, lemons, peaches, and apricots. All classes had access to all of these fruits, and meat became a delicacy around 5500 BC and was only available to the rich. Domesticated chicken became the popular norm in about the same period. Then pork made its way between 4000 and 3000 BC. Buddhists did not eat meat, and it was way too expensive for the poor to have access to it. So guess what? Enter tofu. Stay tuned to hear about the history of tofu and a special recipe from yours truly. The Han Dynasty 
contributed an immense amount of culture and trading routes in the, in, to society. We're still taking advantage of what they accomplished. The silk trade route, established under Emperor Wu, was a major trade network that connected Asia, the Middle East, and Southern Europe. The major trade item was Chinese silk, giving way to the name of the route. Hundreds of roads and canals were built to ease the transportation of commerce, communication, military, and tax collection. For this, the Chinese created bridges to cross rivers and gorges. These, these bridges are still being used today, like beam bridges, pontoon bridges, and simple suspension bridges. These megalithic structures are still standing. Among other things, political ideas, economic ideas, religious ideals, and scientific knowledge. Due to the scientific knowledge gain, the nine chapters of the mathematical art was developed under the Han Dynasty. It talks of negative numbers, the Pythagorean theorem, square roots, cube roots, and magic squares. With the advancement of math, the seismometer was constructed to predict upcoming earthquakes. The seismograph worked so well that it was able to warn government officials of upcoming earthquakes well before they happened. It was a shivering sensitive uh, pendulum that moved and immediately alerted the Hans of upcoming danger. On top of the seismograph, a calendar was created that utilized astronomy and mathematics. Astronomy was heavily documented by the Han dynasty, so much that we know they witnessed a supernova. The astronomers of that time called it a guest star, but it was documented to have stayed in the sky for eight months during 185 AD. In 1960, NASA determined that what it actually was was the first documented supernova in human history. Water clocks, the first known instrument that we've ever had to tell time were made of wood and bamboo. It was a large tube with a gauge inserted in the side of the object. The gauge floated on the water. As the water drained, it would mark what time it was. These water clocks were in every imperial office and government officials were required to take note of the time when corresponding with other offices. The ancient Chinese were getting busy in discovering major advancements for the human race. Irrigation and water preservation were created during this time as well. Farming was the main motivator for this advancement, and complex farming tools were created also. The invention of the wheelbarrow enabled the Chinese to haul weighty loads that they otherwise would have never been able to move. Agricultural, agriculture was the driving force behind the Han Dynasty economy and was the major reason behind their 400-year success. Books and paper that we know today were recreated at the same time. The original paper was rough and poorly textured, but the new paper invented was made from pounded hemp fibers. The new version was cheaper and more long-lasting compared to the original version. Writing became easier, and it gave way for the Han Dynasty to document their culture and their ways of life. Before paper, information was recorded on wooden strips or bamboo, or on other solid objects, or just verbally. A bureau of music was established that ruled over music festivals, music at ceremonies, and banquets. 
The Bureau recorded the types of music and dances performed and put them in these royal archives to be preserved. After the 14-year reign of Wang Mang, a lot of the documented instruments used for this music was, were, were lost. However, archaeologists have been able to recover the lyrics which determined that the songs were performed by singers. Well, I guess that makes sense. Songs were recorded by, were performed by singers. I hope so. We all know because we've heard me sing that that can be, that can go horribly wrong. So the choral singers consisted of 16 boys acting out farming chores like reaping and cutting grass and protecting the land from wild animals. A group of 300 girls danced in a circle around a religious altar at one ceremony. Now, I know that sounds elaborate, like each dance move and each lyric had to have a meaning behind it. No instruments have been preserved from this period, but cave drawings depict harps, lutes, and drums that were, that were used. Education became a predominant principle for the Han Dynasty. State academies were established that educated men on state services. Exams were administered to weed out the individuals who would be the best fit for the government. You can thank the Han Dynasty for the creation of the examination process. The literature of the time was written on hand scrolls and mostly consisted of poetry. Archaeologists have found evidence of this poetry, most consisting of descriptions of sexually, sexually liberated women. Wow. A love story between Zheng Yu and Lady Yu were well known. It's a well-known story of China. Their love was doomed, and in an attempt to save themselves, they ran away, but were inevitably found by the military forces. The story ends with Lady Yu killing herself after performing an ancient sword dance. Artistry was booming during this time. And large stone carvings, glazed pottery, and magnificent lacquer work were produced. In fact, a color was created specifically called Han Purple that regularly adorned their statues. This shade is considered to be the earliest created pigment that was used in art. Bronze, various metals, ceramic, jade, paint, stone, and wood were also used in the design of their art. These statues varied from basic shapes to many shapes combined. The basic shapes were used to depict decorations, but the ornate shapes were used for representing spiral animals such as a phoenix or maybe a dragon. The art was complex and sophisticated. Scholars compare the art to Egyptian tomb art. Now on to the good stuff. How did the ancient Han Dynasty bury their dead? Luckily, human sacrifice had ended before the Han Dynasty ruled, and it was replaced with statues representing the person in death. A detailed funeral gave the mourners attending and the spirits on the other side a clear indication of the rank of the dead soul. Confucianism was heavily used during this time period, and the rank of an individual was very, very important. The family members of the deceased would do whatever they could to accurately depict the value of the dead soul. If the passing of the person was a smooth process, it was believed that the soul would be less likely to turn evil when it reached the other side. Evil spirits were known to torture the living. The Han Dynasty were avid record keepers, but with the overthrow of the dynasty and other monarchs looking to destroy the past, Many burials were not recorded. 
The only records of burial rituals that we have stem from the powerful and the wealthy. So you could say that the poor did not have the luxury of these incredible funerals. However, the same thoughts of life and death apply. Master Chang, a Han Dynasty government official, recorded his thoughts on the typical burial ceremony. He said that when the land is excellent, the spirits will be comfortable and the descendants will flourish. The principle is the same as the branches and leaves of a plant flourishing when earth is banked around its roots. When the land is bad, the contrary occurs. But what is meant by excellence of land? It is land that is bright and moist, a flourishing growth of plants and trees is the evidence. That's pretty good. I like it. The land that the dead are laid is the most important feature of a burial site. If the land is prosperous, the spirits will be content and the family will flourish. If the land is bad, well, the spirits will wreak havoc on the living. Master Chang goes so far to say that you must never pick a site that could be potentially become a road, a ditch, a village, a well, or, or a pit. The family of the deceased took their time in deciding where the dead would be buried. What was left at these burial sites? Actually, many, many things. Grave robbers were a big thing during this era as the Chinese left valuable items with the dead. We may not know everything that was left with the dead, but we have a good idea. Vessels containing food and drink were left with the deceased so that substance was provided when you got to the spirit world. The family wanted the dead to go through the journey with ease, and if they were hungry or thirsty, then surely they had to eat, right? The Chinese were very particular about what could be left at the burial site, and it all depends on the dead person's rank in the living world. That keeps coming up, right? For example, there was a law that stated how many items could be left with a person based on what they did for a living. Individuals with five or six office ranks could have 30 items. Rank of seven or eight could have 20 items. And anyone else who did not reach the court could have 15 objects. They did not want a dead person's family to misrepresent the soul when moving into the spirit world. The dead got to take their furniture with them to the spirit world as well. Who says you can't take it with you, right? The pieces of furniture had to be rebuilt to be smaller because apparently the spirit world was smaller. All furniture should represent what the dead had in real life. This could mean that things like bed curtains, cushions, armrests, and tables were included. And again, this goes back to making the spirits crossing smoothly and to make sure that they felt cared for. Nobody wants an unhappy family member coming back from the spirit world to harass them. I know I don't. The food and drink that was left for the dead would be offerings of wine and meat. A basket with a bamboo cover would be left to hold the five essential grains. Jars made on earth needed to be included that also housed extra wine and meat for the dead's journey to the spirit world. 
The Chinese were very fluid with their religions. Numerous practices were employed, such as a Buddhist priest or a Taoist to cover all the bases. Remember, only the wealthy could manage to have these services, so one could even bring a Confucian expert to recite an important text that highlighted the importance of the family ties beyond the grave. Funeral feasts were held by the wealthy to celebrate the dead soul's life. We discussed Guyana, or let me see, I'm working on pronouncing things better, Ghana, as I've been corrected. We discussed Ghana in a recent episode that depicted a much more celebratory way of ending life. The ancient Chinese were similar in that they wanted to feast for the dead and make their journey to the spirit world as comfortable as possible. The grave goods left and the celebration held would determine where the dead would end up in the spirit world. The poor would do their best in providing as much as they could to the dead. Not as much was left of this class's burial sites, as you can imagine. This discuss. Let's discuss some of the art that was found in these ancient burial tombs. The Sanke, glazed horse, adorned with jade-colored wounds, a beautiful, detailed leather saddle, and a strong body. These types of statues were restricted to imperial individuals whose family could afford art before their burial. From the Tang Dynasty, a figure of a soldier that stood 15 inches tall was discovered. It was produced out of buff clay, and it has a heavy, detailed face and armor. This kind of statue would have been left for an imperial leader who had his own military, again, only accessible by the wealthy. Emperor Jing and Emperor Wang's tombs were adorned with male mannequins that resembled the dead. Unfortunately, the clothing and arms were made of wood, so they have long since disintegrated. The statues were let's say, anatomically correct and were heavily used during the Han Dynasty. Well, not used. They made statues anatomically correct. Let's just put it that way. I feel like I'm skirting so much. <laughs> okay, so we've discussed what goes on in an ancient Chinese tomb. But what do these tombs look like? In the Eastern Han period, underground tombs were all the rage. In fact, tombs of the wealthy were usually cut into cliffs. These tombs were constructed from brick and have to be supported with wood, so they don't disintegrate and collapse, of course. Archaeologists have uncovered 6,000 tombs like, that were made exactly like this. There is a particular burial site located in the provincial capital of Sichuan that was discovered in 2015. The burial site covers about 10 square meters. This burial site was largely undiscovered, so the majority of the items buried with the dead were still there. Among the discoveries, there were male mannequins depicting family members and the dead, beautiful bronze vases, and heavily decorated caskets. The Chinese truly honored their dead and gave them a burial worth remembering. I also have a recipe for you that's worth remembering. Sesame Garlic Tofu Tofu originated in the Han Dynasty period and has been the primary source of protein for Chinese ever since. There's a legend that statues that states, there's this legend, 
The state's tofu was created when a cook wanted to experiment with flavoring some cooked soybeans with nigari. The cook made bean curd, which we now refer to as tofu. Another legend states that there was a man whose parents had lost their teeth, so he blended soybeans and made it into soup. His parents didn't like the soup, so they spit it out. This gave the man the idea to flavor the soybeans by adding salt and heating it up. He discovered that it would become like jelly, and he pressed it into squares. He reintroduced the jelly-like mixture of the soybeans to his parents, and they really liked it. Either way, whether that, those two stories are true or untrue, the world is eternally grateful for that invention. There is a stigma against tofu in the West, as many are unaware of how to cook it. That's why I wanted to introduce to my listeners, as it has a lot of nutritional qualities. It's high in iron, it's high in protein, and magnesium, and has a small number of calories compared to animal meat. There are so many different types of tofu that you can try out. Tofu can be soft for soups and salads, or it can be firm for stir-frying or deep-frying. It also comes in this extra-firm, fermented, stinky, dried, or frozen. You can get tofu in just about any form that you want. Tofu is made similar in a similar manner to cheese. A coagulant curdles the soy milk, and the curds are pressed into a solid block. So easy to make, and no animals are harmed in the process. Now look. I'm Southern to my soul. Meat and potatoes are a staple at my family's dinner table ever since I was a child. It's a part of my blood. I still enjoy a good steak, and barbecue is what I'm all about. But that doesn't mean that I avoid a non-meat entree. The Chinese discovered tofu over 2,000 years ago. It's so good that it's stuck around for literally thousands of years. Besides being an alternative to the same old red meat, white meat, or seafood choice, it's a man-child's play thing, you know. It's something that you can actually put to get, put on your plate and build a house if you want to. It's, uh, it's Legos on your dinner plate. So, let me tell you this recipe. You're going to need... One or two firm tofu bricks, depending on how many people you're feeding. A quarter cup of soy sauce, a quarter cup of beef broth, one teaspoon of rice vinegar, two teaspoons of honey, two teaspoons of chili sauce or gojujang sauce, a quarter cup of cooking oil like sesame or avocado or peanut, and some diced green onions. To begin, place your firm tofu brick, or two if you're feeding a bunch of people, on a plate between two paper towels. Place something heavy, like a cast iron pan on top, and let it sit for at least 30 minutes to drain as much water as you can get out of it. After 30 minutes, dry it with a fresh paper towel and cut it into a uniform bite-sized square. Mix a quarter cup of soy sauce, a quarter cup of beef broth, one teaspoon of rice vinegar, Two, speed, two, two teaspoons of honey, two teaspoons of chili sauce, and a bowl. You can also use gojujang sauce in replace of the chili sauce if you really want some extra heat. 
gochujang sauce can be found in your Asian aisle in your local grocery. Unless you're listening from Asia, and then, you know, it's in your local grocery. Heat a quarter cup of your preferred cooking oil and fry the tofu in batches. Now pay attention to your tofu as it takes heavy concentration to get this done. You want it golden brown on all sides, but you don't want to burn it. You'll need to turn the pieces on each side to make sure that, that this even brownness is done. Set it aside as you cook it on a paper towel to let the excess oil drain. Pour your liquid mixture into a pan, into the same pan that you've been using, and heat it up and stir it frequently to keep it from scorching. Arrange your tofu on your dinner plate, build your little house or whatever, and drizzle with sauce. Top with diced green onions and eat it while it's ready and hot. By the way, I'd also like this dish because I can play with it. Wait a minute, did I already tell you that? All these little bricks are like Legos, like I said earlier. It's fun for kids and fun for all the child men in your life. This is very simple but delicious meal. Try it out on your next meatless weekend night. Also, don't forget our sponsor, thetailoredhemp.com. Legal in all states, high-quality CB is a great source to help you reduce stress and get better rest. I can attest because I use it to help me sleep. Isn't something that will make you, you know, you know what I mean, feel funny. It's the help you may need. Remember, I'm not a doctor. I'm a person that uses the product, and that's my experience. So forget the rest. Use the best. Order today at thetailoredhemp.com. I've been your host, Scott Parrish, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Dying to Eat. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Your support drives this show, and we enjoy hearing from you. Find us on Facebook and Instagram. Let us know what topics you'd like to hear. Find future and past episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to drop us a like, and until next time, stay lively.